was popping, was popping, was popping. Welcome, Nikki and Moose. I'm Nikki. That's Moose. What's up, Moose? What up, y'all? And on this episode, if you're in the phase of rebuilding your brand or your business, Moose drops some fire tips that you can't miss. Of course, we're going to be talking about the latest docuseries on Netflix, Big Vape. What is our reaction to it? Podcasting 101. Okay, you've been asking about it. We got the how to grow your podcast, how to start your podcast from some of the top entrepreneurs out there. And then we have a new question of the week. Moose, how are you feeling about this episode? Hey, well-balanced episode. Y'all got to check this one out. Let's get into this intro. Two kids from Queens cut from a different cloth. Now joining forces, helping you to elevate your personal brand. Yeah, I'm talking about Nikki and Moose, bringing you a never-before-seen perspective into the mindset, the mentality, the behaviors, the driving force, but more importantly, the stories behind the people and brands that you know and love the most. And of course, this episode is powered by Ecamm Live, the number one all in one streaming platform that not only allows you to stream on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, all the social media platforms, but it's also amazing for pre-recorded videos, uh, like for courses, like for trainings. You could do great things for your Zoom calls and Google Meets. So uh, we're giving 14 days away on us. If you go to uh, www nickyandmoose.com slash ecam that's e-c-a-m m i believe yep for that 14 day trial two m's two m's moose how are we two feeling m's. man i'm feeling pretty good it's been uh it's been a good week and uh i'm i'm no longer feeling a little bit under the weather because i know when we did the live earlier i was like ah i, I might i might be on my way out but we bounced back and I feel good. So it's been solid, man. I feel good. We've got a trip coming up. So we're traveling here in a little bit. Looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a nice little, uh, not not so much a, a vacation or a getaway run, but definitely a work trip. But it's just an exciting because it, it's something brand new or whatnot. So I'm excited to get going. Is it a but, new state? Um, is it a... No, no, you know, go, going to uh, my second favorite home, uh, Michigan. And I know that's crazy this time of the year because it's not necessarily the most pleasant weather. It's not like it's a warm weather state, but yeah, I, I do, cold. I do love Michigan, man. Yeah. 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 I do love Michigan. I think, I think they said it's, it's dipping near the forties or something like that. Where, where is it at by you in Virginia now? Are you still like, uh, we're still in seventies. Decent? Or? Yeah. We're still in seventies. Wow. Yeah. You, you know, New York this time of the year is what they call like the, the, you experience the whole year in one day. So it's, Super cold in the morning or somewhat cold in the morning, super hot in the afternoon, then it dips into fall. And then sure enough, it gets pretty cold at night. So yeah, the, the weather this time of the year in New York is, is complicated. If it was a relationship status, it would just be that. It's, a, mm. <laughs> it's complicated. We don't know what's going on yet. Yeah, yeah man. But but I, I do want to share, um, you know, one of, one of my big realizations this week or my, my big lessons is the, this idea that 
develop when development happens, and this is not just exclusively for entrepreneurs. I believe that this could be for even professionals working at organizations, companies, or anything in between, that your best ideas sometimes don't come from you or from even people on your team who are super close to the project or the thing that you're working on. Because I have been so big the last uh, really six months or so on the cycle, the business phases or the development phases that happen inside of a business. And the one that I have been most dedicated to is the rebuild process, because the rebuild process is one where you've learned all of the lessons, you have seen great growth, you've also seen big decline, and now you're strong enough to build yourself back up without having to repeat some of the mistakes that you've made early on. So there's a lot less emotion involved. There's a lot less ego involved. You're strictly working off of what is the best thing for the people I serve? Not even so much what is the best thing for me, say financially, whatever it is. And so with that, I've been interacting with people in different circles in different places way more than I normally would. As you know, a natural born introvert, I'd rather just keep to myself and the three, four, five people that I talk on a regular basis and just keep it moving from there. But really getting into the mode of, no, I have to conversate and speak to people in different circles and see what's happening. And we were in a meeting earlier this week talking about a potential collaboration and the feedback that we got on just the discovery process and what we initially introduced was so helpful because it helped us to see an opportunity in the marketplace that can be done right now. And it's super unique and dynamic. And so that was a, a big wake up call for me to realize Sometimes your best ideas don't come from you or even the people on your team. It comes from people who you are trying to, you know, collaborate with or just build with in general. It's like, oh, but if you're not ready for it, you would automatically become defensive. Say, no, well, what do you mean? No, that, that, that's a terrible mm -hmm. idea. It's like, yeah. oh, recognize the value and the opportunity and the feedback that you get, you know, and that wouldn't have happened had I not initiated contact or conversation. So that was a big lesson, man. For those of you listening, just definitely make sure you give yourself opportunity to continue to network and, and, and put yourself out there. But more importantly, recognize that there are seasons in business and what worked last year, you know, six months ago may not necessarily be relevant in, in the season that you're in right now. Are you rebuilding? Are you rebuilding? What are you rebuilding? I would say so. I, I would say so. I mean, it, it, just as I look at some of the, uh, the, like the role that I hold uh, within extreme execution and just even my career as a whole, I would say I'm in a rebuild phase because I am now for the first time, not really building for myself. I'm building for the future and, and getting myself out from the, Oh, I just want to be the faceless behind the scenes person that just does the work, you know? So I'm, I'm recognizing that at some point the, the, the quote unquote two man has to become a one somehow, mm -hmm. right? In in some form capacity. So that's 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 the that's the space that I'm in. So I, I do feel like it's a rebuild because I've I've seen the big growth, I've seen the decline, I've seen the questionable phase where you're like, ah, do we right. are we tired of staying or, or what's up? Right. And so and so now with everything that has been developed from both skills to actual hard you know, assets and things of that nature, it, fe it feels very much a rebuild, but, but there's, good, there's good progress behind it. So does that go based off more, because one of the things that you said was like, it's like less emotion. 
because there's now data where maybe before in the beginning you moved off feelings and maybe what you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What you observed in the market. And there's not necessarily super hard facts, but now you have hard facts based off the experience that you went through. Yeah, I was going to say it's really less about data and more about experience and maturity, where in the beginning of a career or a business cycle, you are trying to build the business, but deep down, you don't really recognize this. You're really trying to fill some of the voids that you feel internally or some of the insecurities that you have. So you use the business to do that. And the business doesn't fit there. Like the business and your insecurities or whatever lack that you're having, they have no business being in relationship with each other. And so when you become good on your own, you see the business through a completely different lens now. You recognize, oh, these are the mistakes that I was making. I may have tried to do this and position myself or someone else or even a service to be this way when it had no, it had no, there was no reason for that. So that's, that's been my big realization now that everything is, I like to say in its own category, you know, like family has its own category, self and all these things. You can go to business and you're not trying to stick those other categories in there. Mm -hmm. And when you leave the business, you're not trying to take the business with you and be mad at the family for what happened at the business. Right. So that that's, that's what I'm seeing. See, I would say definitely between experience and maturity, that's, that's where the sweet spot is. That's good. Is there, um, based yeah. off, uh, probably my last question, but, but based off maybe the conversations that you're having, is there one quote bar, whatever that has really like hit you a certain kind of way that helps with this rebuild, uh, process? Um, I came across one yesterday and I just got to look it up again. And I'll Hopefully paraphrase it's not the final just words. so that. Hopefully, it's not the final words. Yeah, no, I apologize. No, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 no, it was it was during during a, a research on a project I was working on, but it was something like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something to the extent of, if if your idea can't be communicated as a process, it's not a good idea. Mm. And it 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 for me it it resonates because a good idea that doesn't have demand in the marketplace is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. But a good idea that is backed by demand and physical need or tangible need from people in the marketplace, that's a good idea, right? right. Because it's it, it now has a tangible need or it, or it solves a solution. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta find the exact quote. I'll do, okay. I'll, I'll do some digging while we chat here and see, but that, that, that definitely hit this week. I like that. Okay, shout out to you. Appreciate that. I like reading. What's up in your world? Uh, I yeah. binged uh, on a new doc series. Have you heard of uh, Big Vape? It's trending on Netflix no. right now. Okay. Mm. So it is the rise and fall of Jewel. You know that those little uh, e-cigarettes things that look like they said it was yep. the iPhone of e-cigs, right? So, uh, I, I I was watching it. It it's first off, it's really good for those people who are like on the fence if I should get the if I, if I should watch it or not. It's extremely good. I already 
uh, suggested it to CJ and Jose. Jose's like, yo, this is fire. Um, I think Jose used to to uh, vape Jewel. So that's why I was like, yo, watch this. So one, the, the mission, the, one of the biggest lessons that I got from it was like, the mission doesn't necessarily always translate to like, con, like the consumer, right? So their big, their big mission was to eliminate cigarettes, period, right? Um, and in their journey, they've definitely taken, uh, taken a huge role of why cigarettes uh, sales have went down. I think even now, I, I rarely see people smoke cigarettes. And, you know, there, there's been a lot like, oh, it smells, it leaves all these different, uh, you know, uh, yellow teeth, just the, the ickiness of it. You have to go outside in like the rain when it rains because you can't smoke. Like it's it's crazy, right? So they were trying... Their, their target audience is adult smokers. What happened was, as they're marketing, because they're a startup, you have to get yourself out there. They got with one of the people who used to market for Red Bull, right? And uh, what I love about how Red Bull markets their stuff, and he even said it, it was like allowing your products to be discovered in a cool way. So if you look at Red Bull, you see like all the advertisements on like skateboards and when somebody skydive their parachute and their whole thing. Like it was just cool ways where people were watching and they just saw Red Bull. So they took that as well as the lifestyle kind of marketing. So in parties, in like showing dancing, just having fun and that whole nine. To where they didn't think fully that this is going to attract to a younger crowd. So if you if you advertise in a cool way and you advertise in, in a lifestyle situation, and plus you make it into different flavors, that mango and all these different things, now it goes to you're attracting the kids. And so there was this big situation that all the, not all the kids, a lot of kids uh, were, were vaping, right? So it kind of, like people were warning them like, yo, this is going to backfire some way, shape or form, right? Now, realistically, we can't, I think vaping has only been around for like, 10, 10, 15 years, the most. And so to figure out, mind you, I'm not a doctor. I'm not stating anything. I'm going based off the documentary. So going, uh, sitting and saying the life uh, effects of what vape has is not really solid just yet. They're solid on cigarettes, but they're not solid on, on the actual health risk of vaping. Now there was this situation where a lot of people were starting to die. And the common situation was, yo, 
uh, I'm vaping, right? So it was like a, a, all these kids kind of having lung issues and come to find out that it was really THC situations that were going into these devices because you could take off the pod that was killing people. There was a statement they said because they didn't run that back and say, hey, no, Jewel didn't kill these people. It was the THC products. All people were seeing was that it was Jewel products being used. And, and that was the common denominator. So somebody said, and I put this on threads yesterday, fact checks never goes viral as much as the lie. So they ran with Jules killing people, right? But when the real facts came out, the real facts didn't get, go viral as much as Jules killing people, right? So that, that part was like, I get it. I get it. Now, in their early stages, because they had they came up with so many different models that wasn't working, right? It's, they they prided themselves of being a tech company. They didn't want to be big tobacco. That's not what they were trying to do. They were they one of the things they were saying is like, uh, smoking isn't about the nicotine delivery. It's about the rituals and preserving them. For them, right? So that's what they were trying to do. They weren't uh, trying to be the pushers of nicotine. They were just trying to push the rituals and the fellowship and that whole nine, right? So they were doing all these different uh, devices that wasn't necessarily working. They came up with one that would put like loose tobacco in it and burn it. Now... They thought that was dope. What they didn't realize is that cannabis people started to take on to that instead of who they originally thought it was, right? And this is where, okay, do I go with who I intended to or do I move with where it goes? And at the time, they moved to where the audience is. So then they started embracing the different uh, cannabis influencers and, and that was paying the bills as they were trying to figure out the right device for the nicotine thing. So even their investors was like, hey, yo, I, this brings in money. Absolutely. I see what the audience wants, but this is not the mission. This is not the goal. We got to go back to what we intended to do, which was eliminate cigarettes. You've now created a new device in another niche. So they kept with it, but they, they kept trying to build the actual jewel. And so it, it, it's a really dope docu-series. If I gave too much, I apologize. You should, you should have watched it already, okay? You watched it already. I don't, know, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. But um, it's a really good as far as understanding... From a from a business wise, how they scaled, like they were struggling with scaling. Then it just blew up one time based off the influence of of young people always carrying it. And so then they couldn't keep it on the shelves to then bringing in like 
chopping out their original CEO, which was one of the founders, bringing in a yogurt guy who uh, like specialized in uh, chain supplies, right? The supply situation. And just seeing how business works from, from an idea, it was literally a thesis in college to then being worth billions of dollars to then reduce it all the way down to like a third of their valuation. Yeah. So it's yeah, a really, it's a really good docuseries. I know, I know I remember sometime maybe in the last two years, they were saying that they were going to ban e-cigarettes in New York. So I don't know if, mm. if that I know they tried have to, contributed to the fall. I know they tried to do it in, uh, what was it? In San Francisco, I think one of the sands in California. I don't know if San Diego, San mm. Francisco, but they did do it in, in San Francisco. And their whole thing was we need to protect the the kids. And and here's where where I found interesting because they started showing a whole bunch of adults that was like, yo, who's speaking for us? Like, this is literally helping me quit uh cigarettes. Like I don't, I haven't touched it in, in five, 10 years. If you ban it, what am I supposed to do? You know, so it, there goes like your original mission, but you didn't think through who else would be affected. It, it's such a, it's such a, like, I, mind you, I could care less about smoking in that whole nine, but it's very interesting to see like those different kind of obstacles of are you thinking of everything possible if this was to work? Like, who is it going to be in the hands of? Who is it going to affect? What is the uh, mindset of certain people? Like, if this really blows up, what is really the true effects of it? That I was I was blown away from it. It was a really good docuseries. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love things like that because they speak to the validation process, you know, of, of what you're building and conceptualizing. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. How, how do you think some of that is, uh, you know, can, can be avoided from a branding and marketing standpoint? Cause you know, the thing that comes to mind is you come up with an idea, mm-hmm. you have a plan for it, you put it in the hands of the marketplace, but the marketplace responds to it a little bit differently. Do you think that can that can be avoided from a social media and just overall branding standpoint, or is that small use cases where let's roll out with this group and test and get feedback and then expand. What's your take on that? So it's hard because branding is what the people think of it. All right. We could market it and place it in certain places so to make sure that it's embedded in people's minds a certain kind of way but it it's it's hard to say that how could that have been avoided if well it could have because they're marketing off top when they did the big Times square situation was to grab younger folks dancing around and partying with Jewel. They did parties mm. that was uh, that was f- full of jewels, great places to take pictures, 
in order to bring influencers in and have them take pictures with the actual joint because they're attracting the social media crowd, which in social media crowd is a younger crowd. Yeah. So they tried to fix it later on with like the most boringest pictures. Like it was on a book during a meeting with somebody having coffee. They did like bland, uh, bland coloring where in the beginning it was super bright coloring. It was orange. Yeah. It was yellow. It was, it was all over the place. Right. Um, so and I understand like the, their their thought process as far as even with the flavors. We know flavors is going to attract younger people. Like, right, oh, right, we got right. mint, we got mango, we got all this, like, but mm -hmm. their thought process was, hey, if you're trying to get off cigarettes and sister cigarettes really taste nasty. I don't know, I've never had, I only know the smell. But cigarettes taste nasty. I'm not gonna give you a menthol. Uh, e-cig, I'm trying to get you off of cigarettes, meaning I'm trying right, to give you right. a whole different experience. So I, I could understand that particular part. I can understand the sleekness of how they, because it's a tech world. So how mm. do we make this uh, look sexy, portable, that whole nine. But I think where they went wrong was that they didn't have big tobacco like as far as on their team earlier. So their big whole thing was they never wanted to work with big tobacco. It was like, we're, we are the, the anti-big tobacco people. They're killing right, people, right. right? Yeah. Which I, I'm very confused because I think nicotine is, I don't know all the bad parts about nicotine, but I got to look that up now. But if they had somebody who they could trust in big tobacco, they would understand how to market it correctly. So what big tobacco did was exactly what Jewel did in the beginning. They did advertisement of, of, of younger people partying that made it look acceptable. It's exactly what big tobacco did in the beginning. They just made it look more modern. And so if they had somebody who they could trust in big tobacco that is now turned to, I don't want to, I want to get rid of cigarettes just like you, then they would know the gaps and the, the, the falls of big tobacco to, a, to avoid and say, hey, this is just a better solution. This is what we could do. Um, but they went with the, let's, let's try to hit the masses. Let's try to go. And, and it, their original reason of lowering down cigarette sales and, and making it super popular, cool. They dominated the e-cig situation. It was jewel majority yeah. of the time. They made billions of dollars. They dominated that. But getting into such a risky, uh, risky market, such as uh, something that can affect health. I, I don't know how you can really avoid some of the things when yeah. kids are kids. What do you think? Yeah. 
It's, I mean, it's a strategy that really is not utilized enough. And there's only one other brand that I've seen do that when, and but the strategy I'm referring to is collaborating with your biggest competitor early yeah. so that you can neutralize their position against you. Mm-hmm. So the only person who I've seen this, who I've seen do this recently, who, who's been on Fun Street about it is Dwayne Johnson and the XFL brand. So mm-hmm. if you notice, you know, when we, we covered them on the podcast actually a couple of months ago, where when they were launching the brand, they made it clear that they don't want to compete against the NFL. They want to work with them. Right. And so sure enough, after their first successful season, they found a way to integrate. So I thought that was a good move because you're going to your biggest competitor and you're saying, hey, I know that you can crush me. I'm still, you have all this experience, you have all these resources on me. So I don't, I don't think it's smart to try and compete against you, although you are my competitor. Let's not, let's not overlook the fact of, of the situation, but it's a strategic business move to go to your biggest competitor and find ways to collaborate so you can at least give yourself time in the market to really mature, grow, know what the response is and make your moves from there. So yeah, that, that's the part that stuck out from what you said there that they didn't want anything to do with big tobacco where maybe if they would have looked for a way to, to create a mutual relationship, it could have been beneficial to them. Who knows? Yeah, they did. So they did at the end when it was kind of like too late, but the collaboration, the way they kind of, uh, stated it was more of showing that big tobacco lost. This is where sales Mm. were already declining really bad. And so they were like, you know what? This this is work with you. I don't don't know what else to do. Yeah. We lost. We we lost. So here, we're going to give you these billions. And we're going to give you these resources that you may not have. Because we lost. So we might as well just stay relevant by working with you. So that... They're maybe probably looking they, for an acquisition, maybe. So maybe that's more of what they honestly want, because I, I believe they got a, um, an early investment from Big Tobacco. Not, not what everybody like. I think it was like an overseas Big Tobacco or something, and people in the company were like, "Do we want to do this?" Well, this is where the money's coming in, so. Yeah. So you could give me another, and that, that's another thing. Like, how mission driven are you that you right. will not take money from the actual competitor that you're trying to defeat? That that's 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 something I know you would be like, nope, nope. Yeah. Well, I, I, the, the the new me understands. Again, this concept of the phases mm-hmm. of a business where if it gets you to the end goal, you want to find a balance to it, you know, not just a strong no. And I also think it depends on the company, you know, it, it, it depends on the, the, the category of a company. So there's a lot of variabilities now. I, I don't, I really try to not operate in just absolute extremes outside of the, just the crazy, you know, immoral things, but uh, in a business, in a business standpoint, I really push myself to be as open-minded as possible until there's just no other way but 
you know, that. So I'm growing a little bit. I'm growing. You know? Shout out growing. to you and growing. Yeah, people watch it. I think it's like three episodes or something like that effect. Three or four episodes. Really, really good. Go check out Big Vape. The I think it's called The Rise and the Fall of Jewel or something to that effect. But I know it's called Big Vape and it's trending on Netflix as I'm speaking. It may not trend when you're listening to it, but it was trending when I was. So... Uh, let's go to the creator of the week. And when I tell you these two, uh, are relationship goals from such a funny and humor way, it's an overseas couple meet the Forbes. Uh, I don't, I don't know if Moose, well, I'll ask Moose after, but the joy that I get after watching any of their videos, um, their accent, their comebacks to each other. Yeah, the, just listen or watch one. I've just got home for Adrian to tell me that he has just paid 10 pounds a month because the person at our door was so charming. What's it for? What charity is it for, Adrian? <laughs> Something to do with that. Speak of the chest. <clears throat> Something to do with like ambulances. They wanted to. They want more ambulances on the road. So, uh-huh. um, in a community like this, sixty thousand people a month um, die from cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Look, you just charming me. No, Adrian. I called you today and I said, "Can I have some money to do some food shopping?" I said, "All right, cool." Did you eat the steak? Did you eat my steak in the fridge? That's what I said to you. You said, "I'm eating it right now." I called you and I said, Adrian, can I get £10 to do the shopping? You said, £10? What am I giving you £10 for? There's cod. There's cod in the fridge. I don't want cod. You ate my steak. So now you're telling me, as I walk in the house, Mr. Man, I talk with my chest, that you have just given a door knocker £10 a month for an ambulance service that you don't even know what it's called. I'm your charity. Tara is your charity. You can't tell me nothing no more. Because all I'm saying is speak of your chest. I ask you for ten pounds. You can't give me ten pounds, bro. You don't respect me enough. You don't respect yourself. Speak with base. Only cake. Are you my son? Did I birth you? Adrian, he was about four foot two. <laughs> You're five foot eleven. He's four foot two. Little old Betty over there could say no, but you couldn't. I'm your charity. I'm your charity. I absolutely love them. Uh, wish I could play more. Uh, maybe Isaiah will play one more. I don't know. Go check out the video experience if you're not part of the video experience. But uh, they're dope. It's refreshing. Uh, they make me want to watch Top Boy. It's great. It's great. So <laughs> shout out. Shout out to them. Most have, are you? Do, do you know? I haven't, man. I, oh. I haven't come across their stuff. But yeah, I haven't come across their stuff. But that's hilarious. I love that. That's oh, so yeah. dope. Yeah, no, they're they're dope. So sh- so shout out to them. Now, let's go to let's go to our how to section, and this is uh, one of, of course, the most requested uh, information since we're podcasts. So people are like, "Well, talk to us about podcasting. How do you grow a podcast? How do you start a podcast?" And we've covered. Uh, shout out to David Shans, Sean Anthony, Wallow. Um, 
and we we try to have one every single year. This one, we're going to go find the best tips from the top entrepreneurs of how to start and grow a podcast. And so the first one, we got to go to to the family uh, EYL as far as uh, how to address your podcast. Biggest advice that Dame Dash ever gave me, shout out to Dame. He said, stop calling your show a podcast. That was two years ago. We stopped calling it, him and my uh, my people at 85 South. We started calling it a show, but now it's even it's not even a show. Earn Your Leisure is just a brand, it's a media company. Our vision was always bigger than just a podcast. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we could be, our, what we have to offer is so much bigger than just that. What you're really speaking to is the relentless pursuit of the next thing, right? Like, we could we started with a show and it turned into a network and turned into a media platform, but it's now turned into a, a global source for information, right? Yeah, I like what Troy says there too. The the ever the ever going evolution of what happens to the next thing, right? And and I, I love that breakdown, but it's very important. And and again, shout out to Jabari who was on an episode with us a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago when he talked about it's really important that when you're first starting to understand how you're categorizing the brand, the company, the business that you're trying to build, because how you categorize it ultimately determines how big it can grow. So if you have aspirations to do however many dollars in business or however much impact or reach that you want to have on a global scale, but you put yourself in the corner of a marketplace that has a ceiling that will never allow you to get there, sometimes it's not so much your idea, your business, or even the talent that you have. It's just the position of the market that you've cornered yourself into. So I I, I really have to add big emphasis to say, or to this one and say, you have to study the space before you get in. Please be mindful not to just look at influential people or be inspired by someone who's convincing and compelling and jump into the space and say, I want to do what they do because you don't know how they strategically put themselves in place to serve that corner of the market and if that will align with your interest and skill set as well. So yeah, super important how you categorize yourself, what position you put yourself into. That's very important. Now, the last thing is just know that it's normal to graduate from grade one to grade two, which is what they talk about, that natural progression. As you gain experience, you say, okay, that was good, but I feel we can be bitter, uh, better, bigger, et cetera. So that, that is also part of the process. I like that. I like that. Second tip comes from uh, one of the, the godfathers of podcasting from my entrepreneur side, which is uh, Pat Flynn. He talks about how many ideas you should have up front. And try to come up with 25 episodes, like just, you know, that you don't have to nail the title or anything. Just what might you talk about when you start hitting record? And if you can get 25, then okay, you're pretty good because you might have like a half year's worth of content if you're going weekly that you could kind of keep going with versus what I know a lot of people do is they just jump into it and they're two episodes in and they're like, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about next week. So planning ahead, getting used to kind of having a little bit of an editorial calendar. And where do those come from? They should just come from either your expertise and knowledge about the topic and things that you feel like would be useful to share. But even more importantly, they can be answers to people's questions or topics that are hot within the space that you're in right now. So with this one, I think with technology, it makes it a lot easier 
to come up with these different episodes, right? So one of the, the, and I think Sean Anthony talked about it in his, his episode in our early days, where you kind of want to already have three episodes in the clip as far as when you post it, right? Uh, one, that's, that's reasons for people to kind of get a understanding of who you are and what the podcast is about, but also two kind of gives you up front of like, what is the topics I have to come up with? And so with things like chat GPT, with Google Bard, with Claude two, you can now go into AI and be like, I'm creating a podcast about, uh, streetwear. I'm creating a podcast about streetwear. Please give me 25 uh, episode ideas going towards the audience of and then drop who your audience is. As much details as you can give about your podcast, you're going to want to do that because the pressure of coming up with something every single week is real. We deal with it mm -hmm. every single week, right? Where it's like, okay. What are we going to talk about this time when we do our lives? What are we, what's the topic that we're going to talk about now? What's great after you do a good amount is that there's going to be data that's going to support the new topics that you come up with, right? In the beginning, you have to be like, all right, what can I talk about? They, later down the line, you can then almost lean on data based off what your audience has reacted to on some, hey, you should go deeper down on these particular topics, right? So I do agree with, with Pat Flynn as far as coming up with 25 ideas, just so you can pretty much have, let's say, I would say 30, just so you can have a, a month's worth as far as content, but then you have a good amount each week. Let's say you do once a week um, and then use, use tools like ChatGPT, Claude 2, uh, Google Bard. Now we have Meta AI. Use these things to help you create the podcast episodes so you don't ever have to worry about running out of things to say. Okay. So the third tip comes from, of course, Gary V. And talking about should you get big time guests off top or something else? Be strategic about who you book as guests. A lot of people try to come out the gate and get their biggest guest when the right answer is get 10 guests first in that are not as big, giving yourself time to get good at interviewing and then you start layering the bigger guests you can get. I'm way better at hosting a podcast today than I was the first 100 I did because you just get reps. You get to understand. I, I like struggled cutting people off. I still do it. You have no idea that if you're going to be good at it or good by your standard. This may be the 10th time I've said this in the last couple of months, but again, more evidence that you need to get the bad reps out of you in the beginning. As you start 
There is gradual growth that's naturally going to happen and allow yourself time to do that or build that into your process. So I love that he's mentioning this and I too have to agree that you don't have to go to your top of the top right away unless you're seasoned in the space. Now, granted, if you already have experience, if you have over a couple of hundred or even a thousand hours of practice time on camera, which again, I can speak to that because I believe we've probably surpassed that amount now with everything we do on live and on the podcast. So there's a ton of experience on camera that you have. Go back, go back and just look at, I can speak for myself at least, go back and watch how I've transitioned and become more comfortable on camera as the episodes have gone on. So where I would start or what who I would start with if I were starting over today would be completely different than how I would start when we first started here in terms of bringing on new guests, not so much a co-host, you know, standpoint, but that, that shows to you that as you get better, you want to position yourself for the biggest guests to really make the biggest impact. So I do, I do, I do agree with that big time. Very important. I like that. Uh, The fourth one, I think we're up to fourth. Uh, The fourth one has everything to do with discoverability. How many people in here have a podcast, right? Like audio podcasts, hard to grow, right? Podcasts don't grow because the, the reason why podcasts don't grow, no matter what you do, is because ultimately what happens is there's no virality built into it. Let's say that I release an audio podcast, Eric listens to it. Only way anyone else is finding out about this podcast is if Eric loves me so much and likes the episode so much that he takes it and he DMs it to someone, texts it, he tweets it, he like does something with it. But on YouTube, if you just watch the full video, YouTube's like, yo, Eric, like that send it to more people like Eric and they just send it. There's a key piece to like all this content stuff. Yes, eventually you have to be on multiple platforms. People are going to keep going to the platforms where virality built into it rather than trying to build from scratch. And so I think that like the way that these platforms are built too, you really got to pay attention to because that'll ultimately drive growth. So with this one, it's so important because he's right. As much as, and and this is going to be, especially for my introverts, as much as long form content period is highly recommended and you can get discovered if people Google certain keywords or your title and your podcast does show up, that is searchable content, right? But it's way harder from an audio standpoint. If you look at social media, Audio isn't necessarily shared. Video is shared, right? When we're looking at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, they aren't sharing different clips or different podcasts that you should listen to. They have those curated playlists, of course, but it is so hard to get discovered from an audio standpoint. So you have to resort into the video podcast way. Right. And to clip it up now. With that, of course, there are different tools to help you clip down your podcast videos. Right. We have Opus Clip. We have Get Munch. We have Video AI. There's this app called Captions that actually can chop down not only some of your videos, but also add amazing captions to it. So there's several ways to take your long form videos and make them into those short viral uh, clips. But we can't just rely on the audio only 
to do that. So something that's been working uh, very well with us lately is YouTube shorts as well as Instagram carousels, right? So on Instagram, we used to go real heavy on reels and to a certain point we do, but right now we are making a shift on some of these carousels where the first slide is tells you what it's about. Then we give you, let's say in this instance, we're talking about uh, the, the audio discovery. So we'll say the guy who, who said that, I didn't even get his name. I got to find his name. Um, guy who said that, then maybe something that I would say based off that. So it kind of builds a story and people are starting to understand what the podcast is and they'll go listen to the full episode. Also understanding that YouTube is a, is a whole search engine in itself. So just like how he said, hey, if somebody is watching it, they're going to recommend it to other people who are watching it. So hitting it in different platforms, not just audio, but we're talking about YouTube and taking advantage of the long form and the short form. We're talking about TikToks. We're talking about Instagram. We're talking about Facebook. And clearly looking at what you can maintain on a consistent basis and and doing maybe one or two of those things, getting a social media scheduler like later, like buffer, like using business uh, studio uh, on, on Meta that could help you schedule out some of these things so you could concentrate on the on the real things. But do not do audio only unless you have a strong following and they will go find your audio based off your influence. That made sense? 100%. Made sense. Uh, and then the last one comes from our family at, at Think Media uh, talking about should you get, should you go more in depth about certain things? Should you keep it short? Should you get personal uh, on your podcast? Get personal. I mean, think about this. So if someone is going to click on your podcast, they're probably listening to it in the car, on the way to work, at the gym, while they're doing the dishes. It's you and the listener. So use the podcast as an opportunity to get more personal, to go deeper in the conversation. What I love so much about podcasting is that it can be long form content. It can be a secondary thing that someone is doing and taking in your information. So use your podcast to go deeper. That's so good. That's so good. It it takes it takes a while, right? It takes a while and it and I'm and I'm saying for someone to just grow comfortable with being vulnerable and share more about what you personally have experienced as it relates to the topic at hand because I mean think about it. You guys who are listening to this or watching this right now, you can very easily go and look up how to start a podcast, best practices for podcasting. You can do that on your own. The content that we're getting is searchable content, things that you can find online. But what makes it unique is that you're getting that content with our experience and our thoughts attached to it. And so if imagine if we were to give you that content, and I believe there are times throughout the history of the show where, again, just as we've discovered that for ourselves, where it probably was that, and then we realized, no, we, we have to give them our thoughts our spin to it, not just regurgitate what has been said 
on the clip or the information that we're sharing, right? And so, but but what does that take? That takes a little bit of vulnerability. That takes a little bit of eagerness and willingness to open up and share what you experience. And so you can see even the format of the show now, it's strategically positioned where you're getting more of us mm-hmm. from, hey, what's going on this week? And what did we intentionally learn and can share so that listeners and people watching can benefit and maybe apply and, and, and get similar outcomes to what we're experiencing. So everything from that is very important and very key. But for those of you listening, looking to get into the space, make sure that you're infusing those parts of yourselves into the show. The part that I liked, and, and it's nice to think about this way, and probably I have to almost m- meditate on this a little bit more, is be mindful that your content is almost a conversation that is being had in a very intimate space with you and the listener. Yep. All right. Is, is it, when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, shoot, you're right. If someone's watching this, just listening to the content, you think about delivering that to them differently than if you were at a, an, a large event and you're presenting to an audience. There's a totally different feel. So I have to, yeah, be right back. I got to meditate on that. Hey. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So uh, I also want to review uh, Moose found a really dope uh, podcast report. I want to kind of talk about that, kind of help the, the listeners and viewers in their podcast journey. Yeah, yeah. So this was a report that just came out recently. It was done by XSM, excuse me, SXM Media. And it looks like they're either backed or in collaboration with SiriusXM, which makes sense, I guess, right? SiriusXM, SXM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure enough, it is SiriusXM. So they have a podcast network. And clearly they are using this as their free tool to be able to get more podcasts on their network. So maybe it's something that we will have to check out. But I love what they did with this report. Fire graphics, by the way, whoever, whoever designed this, is, this is really cool. I'm listening to you for you to check it out. Okay. But they basically broke down podcasting and they gave stats around listeners mm-hmm. who are tuning in to different types of shows. And not only are they just telling you, hey, this is the, uh, let's say, the comedy section or the lifestyle section, but they zero in on the different profiles of listeners. So they have a section after they tell you the category of a podcast, they tell you about the listener profile. So for example, the three types of listeners who tune into comedy, there are, there's the humorist, the entertainer, and the class clown. Right. So you can really think about if you know this about your prospective listener already, you have more insight to who's listening, what type of content you need to create for them so that they can be most engaged with what you're putting out. Now, the final piece of this, which I think is super cool, is that they close off each section with a category or with a slide specific to brand opportunity. So they're telling you. Here's the opportunity for you if you fit this category. Here's the opportunity for you to do something or or here's the opportunity for what you can do in the space, right? So it says a huge percentage, 94% of comedy listeners take action after hearing a podcast ad. Yes, that's very close to everybody who listens. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a podcast who categorizes as 
a comedy podcast, you might want to take this information, right? Whether you cite it in your deck or you do something with it, but you should be going after advertisers pretty heavily and showing them this like, hey, people are most receptive to and are most willing to take action to ads when the content that is, you know, before it is comedy related content. So that's, that's great information. So a lot of really good insight around the average age of a listener, gender, status, level of education, ethnicity, so much great content here. And then of course they have multiple categories, right? They have, let's see, news. I saw lifestyle and entertainment, health and wellness. So really, really cool. Definitely you guys should check it out just to learn about the different listener profiles and how you can deliver your content in a way that would better resonate with them. I got one more question for you. One more question. Yeah. Um, what is some something that you learned this year uh, when it comes to podcasting, the, you know, the prepping, the delivering, however you want to go about it that maybe you didn't do last year? Yeah. Podcasting has actually made me a much better communicator because as I listen to myself a lot in the clips that are posted on the show, uh, the page or, you know, the, the show's page on Instagram, YouTube, anywhere, I've caught on to how many times I use filler words similar to, um, kinda like very passive, not authoritative words. And so it's very subtle, but if you're a listener, and the expert you're listening to is saying things like kinda, maybe, they sound unsure of what they're talking about. You're not gonna really see this person as a an expert, an expert or an authoritative figure in the space, even if they have the utmost experience. I mean, you know, we're two people who are doing the work on a daily basis. We've been doing it for going on five or seven years now. So it's it's been quite a long time. And so I, would, I have to say podcasting has made me a much better communicator. And the second thing I've realized how to say more in less time. So mm -hmm. rather than just going on a long tangent, to, that, that could be good, right? You can, might be very passionate about a topic and I can sit here and talk about it for five, 10 minutes at a time. But I think about the listener experience and say, man, when one voice is speaking on a two-person podcast for an extended period of time, that's much easier for someone to check out because there's no change in tonality mm -hmm. where if I learn to communicate what I have to say in a short amount of time, now we play that tennis match where I say something, I hit it back to you, you respond, I take what you say, right? And it's conversational where, shout out to, and I know you made fun of me for this, but uh, the AirPod spatial audio feature where you can feel the mm -hmm. audio. Like, so for example, if I'm listening to something and I look this way, the audio will shift and go to the right side more super dope. So that, I guess that would happen. I wonder, I, I gotta, I gotta speak to Eddie about that. Cause I was thinking, imagine that would happen with a podcast. So I think they do have I'm that. Positioned I remember when higher. we went to that, uh, that podcast, uh, convention, convention. they were talking about a little bit about the spatial audio for some of those uh, episodes that have more storytelling. Mm -hmm. Like, I do believe they have that. It's all in the it's really mic. cool, right? It's like an immersive experience. Yeah. Because yeah, I was it's, saying, it's, like, it's if I'm on the right side on. of the screen, yeah. So, 
Um, so yeah, man, that's that's been one of my biggest lessons is just being a better communicator and and taking a more authoritative stance in the space, delivering the information in a more compact way for listeners to receive. I think I've gotten much, much better in the last two months. I wouldn't say it's the the entire year that I've been doing this, mm-hmm. but really the last two months I've paid close attention to how I deliver and communicate and make the connection to the points. Because before I might talk about water and connect water to airplanes. It's like, wait, right. what? Why are you telling me about airplanes when we're talking about water? Right. But if I connect water to going to the beach or drinking a sip of water after a long day of exercise or a long workout, whatever, right? It's like, okay, there's more context here. So yeah, I know it's an unrelated example, but uh, context is important and, and connecting it to something tangible for the listeners. I like that. Now, I, I think for me, uh, that one that they said to get personal, I think that one has been something I've been really intentionally trying to add more to the podcast as far as saying, hey, this is what I did. This is what I've used. This is, uh, I don't want to go more towards always teaching where there's no, I'm thinking about those people who are just coming in to like, well, how do you know this? You know, like, right. who are you? Like, we're still in the growth stage of our our podcast. So for me to just go, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. And they don't know us. I'm, I know if I heard something, I'm like, who are you? Like, unless somebody mm-hmm. referred me, if I'm if I'm discovering you on these platforms, I got to know, like, are you going through this? Or have you gone right. through it? That whole nine. So I'm always, when it's about the getting personal and getting more in depth about certain things, I'm trying to be like, okay, how do I always make sure the audience knows that I'm going through this? I'm trying to build this. I'm, you know, those kind of things and, and being more personal with it than being perfect. I could care less. And on a long form, situation i care less about being perfect any content i care less about being perfect and and always looking like i have it together because i don't and i don't try to be and i don't try to act like i know everything i know a good amount based off my experience but i'm still learning even on this podcast um what some of the things to do and so this is the podcast is just a journey of the learning experience and that we just love that you guys are taking it with us. So that's one of the things. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah. that's a good word. True. So, but let's get into the question of the week. But of course, uh, this segment is sponsored by flightassessment.com where you discover your personal superpowers and learn how to use your superpowers to become a master communicator strengthen all your relationships and develop the self-awareness you need to fulfill your highest potential go to flightassessment.com and moose actually has the question of the week yeah so this question comes from a gentleman by the name of yusuf and he asked and said which group has more work-life balance one who has a nine to five or an entrepreneur. Mm. Mm. What's your take on that? 
you got for this one? Who has more work-life balance? I, I think y'all be asking these questions that I'd be so torn off of. <laughs> Stressful. Um, I, I think it depends on the person. You mean? Like, I think if you look at the totality of it, I think obviously people would think entrepreneurs do. But if they don't know how to time manage, they don't, right? If they don't have their priorities right, they don't. So where a lot, I, I, I wouldn't say majority, but I would say a lot of entrepreneurs do struggle with those things that it could look like the nine to five actually, if you ask an entrepreneur, a nine to five has the better life, the work-life balance because you clock in, clock out, right? At a specific time. And then that after the clock out, the rest is is personal. Now, of course, there are there is a select few. There is a certain percentage that is once they clock out, they start working on their business and their brand that they they are growing in hopes to replace the nine to five. So their work-life balance may be a little uneven at the time. But a nine to five has a clock in, a clock out, where entrepreneur, depending on who the entrepreneur is, they don't have a clock in, they don't have a clock out. They is a clock in and a little bit of family. It's open clock. Clock in. <laughs> so open clock. I'll take a break. Yeah. It's a clock in and breaks. It's not clock out. Entrepreneurs don't necessarily clock out. Now we've heard with uh in past episodes with like Eminem, where literally he treats his raps, his his music career, which we've known as music artists that can go in super late at night and stay up all night. And that's their situation where Eminem is like, F5, I'm out. That's it. No more. Right? So I think for me, my answer would be, if a discipline entrepreneur we're talking about, then yes, I would say it, an entrepreneur. If we are talking mm -hmm. about majority of the masses, I would say the typical nine to five who does not have a brand, does not have a business, which is none of y'all who are listening to this because y'all either going to start or you already have one. Uh, but the typical nine to five who just works that job is is the one that has the work life balance. What do you yeah. think? And what's what what's interesting is I, I have a buddy of mine who is at a full time career right now or a nine to five, and his viewpoint is, oh, the entrepreneur has way more work life balance. And I get it, right? Because there's it's there's way more flexibility that's available to the entrepreneur, meaning you don't have to commute for the most part unless you have an office or whatnot that, that you're commuting to. But you don't have to commute. You don't have to really stay there the full nine to five. You're not commissioned to or have to be pl plugged in during that time, right? You can maybe work a little bit later in the day or earlier in the day, you can work some things around to give yourself the flexibility that you need. And I think that offers difference. So what I realized is it's not so much 
better balance that's available to the entrepreneur. It's more flexibility that if done correctly, it can provide better options. But I have to agree with what you said. The one thing that we cannot discount that a nine to five offers is that once you're done, Mm-hmm. You're, done. you're done you can check out you can stay a little late you can do you could whatever you want you can work overtime cool i respect it but there's no feeling i haven't had this feeling in a really long time where you're you check out and you're out like friday i remember when i worked right after college uh at, at the company that I was a part of when i left friday at whatever it was 5 30 6 30 i did not think about work again until sunday night Mm-hmm. That was a tremendous relief. You're like, oh, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm not doing that. I don't, I don't care about work. But you can't do that as an entrepreneur. Everything is interconnected in the entrepreneurial world. So I think you know you really got to pick your poison with this one because do you want to be online at all times where you're looking for things to learn and and get ideas from and create and connect to that could help your business and and. You're pretty much open for business at all times of the day. I mean, think about it. As much as we joke and we say, hey, we're learning from Netflix or doing this. and do-, At the end of the day, you're watching and your mind can't help but mm-hmm. connect to, oh, this can be useful for X, Y, Z. So you don't even enjoy your movies the way you once did when you enter that realm of, okay, I'm, I'm open for business or I'm in business for myself as an entrepreneur. So it's, it's a different experience without a doubt. That's a fact, but uh, let us know what you think in the comments. If you're listening to the audio, head over to uh, Threads, head over to YouTube. Let us know what you think. Uh, Who has the better work-life balance, nine-to-fives or entrepreneurs? would love to hear what you have to say about that. And then, of course, uh, the after show every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts. Go check that out. We either have business therapy or uh, content therapy. One of the two, you got to check it out. It's really, really dope. Follow us on all social media platforms at Nikki and Moose. That's N-I-C-K-Y, people. Thank you. And Moose is is Moose. You, I don't think you can mess <laughs> up the spelling on that one, to be honest with you. But uh, Moose, final words. Yeah, I'm going to throw this back, man. I'm going to go back to uh, one that I've shared on here multiple times, but it's so important because I see it damaging relationships time and time again. And I have a saying that says overly communicated expectations eliminate disappointment. So if your relationships are on the rocks time and time again, just know that if you can be clear about the standard and the expectation of what you want to get out of it, it's going to help to tremendously decrease the chances of you guys ending up in a bad situation. And that's both personal and business. So there it is.